You know, today is what we preacher types on this staff call a standalone Sunday, which means that we're not in a series and this sermon stands alone. So preachers can preach on whatever they want to preach on. And today, Hamas, I want to preach on righteous, loving of nation. I want to preach a patriotic sermon today. Now let's everybody say, uh-oh. Now I didn't say a political sermon, I said a patriotic sermon today. It is Labor Day. Labor Day is not put on the calendar so that we can have one more last summer fling. Labor Day started in the 19th century as a celebration of labor in this country. And a celebration of the right to work. And a celebration of what it means to be able to have a... Um, a, a, a labor with a decent wage so that we can have all of the things that we enjoy in this country. Labor is a blessing. That's what Labor Day is about. Now we preachers have come to hate Labor Day, though everybody else loves it, because we know it will be the third lowest attendance of the whole year. I mean, there's the Sunday after Christmas, the Sunday after Easter, and Labor Day. But I want to use this opportunity of Labor Day to focus our attention on what it means to righteously love our nation. There's plenty of biblical literature. The Old Testament talks a lot about the nation of Israel. And so loving of nation is very well documented in Scripture. Now I need to say there were some things done um, in, in light of nationalism that weren't all that godly but nonetheless there's a godly approach to patriotism I'd like for us to turn to the 89th chapter of Psalm and I'm going to read the 13th through the 17th verse I could have picked a lot of literature but I'm going to pick these few verses to center our thoughts today the psalmist said you have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Happy are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. They exult in your name all day long. And extol your righteousness. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn, or our strength, that's what that means. Our strength is exalted. By your strength, our strength is exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I want to put up a little cartoon on the screens. I think we have it here. Now, I want to center this message on patriotism in light of kind of a cultural issue that we're facing today. Uh, this comes from Pearls Before Swine by Stephan uh, Pastis. And he said, it seems like we're a bit divided. Now, I'm not going to say what those little words are that the people are saying. So here's some advice for everyone's favorite rat. Yell louder because volume convinces. Insult more because disrespect opens hearts. 
and listen to more of the shows that made you hate everyone because that helps. <coughs> For as they say, divided we thrive. No, it's divided we fall. Oh well, I was close. I will insult you till I convince you. Not very funny. Thanks be to God. You know, sometimes patriotism isn't hard for us to get into, right? There are just some things that stir our patriotism. Now, what stirs me might not be exactly what stirs you, but there are some things that stir us all kind of in common. Now, I know this doesn't meet everyone in the room, but there's something to me about a baseball game. You know, I'm one of these that buys into the American, America's Greatest Pastime deal. And you know what goes on at a baseball game, the middle of the seventh inning, don't you? <clears throat> I mean, it's like the doxology in traditional church. It's, it's played, and all of a sudden, everybody stands up with a big smile on their face, and, and they sing this song that first came out um, um, <clears throat> in 1908 in Tin Pan Alley. It was written by a guy named Northwich and a guy named Von Tyler. They'd never been to a baseball game. And yet they wrote this song that we all sing. So let's everybody stand up. Come on, get patriotic. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I never get back. Oh, it's root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. And it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. All right, be seated. <coughs> now, my wife Tammy and I, when we were first married, I, we lived in Kansas City. I went to seminary there, and we would always go to the Royals baseball games on Monday night when they were in town because you could get into the baseball game for two bucks. You could get a hot dog for two bucks. I don't remember what beer was. You'll have to ask my wife. But it was probably two bucks, to tell you the truth. But it was a cheap date. And we loved going to the Royals game. And Tammy loved the games. And we'd eat a hot dog. And we'd enjoy the game. And then the seventh inning stretch. And she'd stand up with a big smile on her face, as would I and all the rest. We'd either be in the right field rowdies or the left field loudies. And, and we would sing this song together. And as soon as it was over, Tammy said, well, let's go home. I never saw the end of a Kansas City Royals baseball game. Because as soon as we sang that song, there was something about it. It was the end for her. It was the climax of the game. And it wasn't going to get any better than that. So we'd go home. Now since September the 11th, 2001, the time of the greatest heartache of this nation... Another tradition arose, coupled with this one. At, at ball games, it started in, in one stadium and then led to others until now at every baseball game in the United States, National League baseball game in the United States. We also sing another song at that time. It was written by Irving Berlin, who was a Jewish 
immigrant. The KKK won't sing this song because it was written by a Jewish man. And yet we sing it. And it strikes at the chord of what this scripture is about. It strikes at the chord of something that's beyond national love. You know it. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America, my home sweet home. You may be seated. If you stand up one more time in this sermon, you're on your own, okay? You know, this is about patriotism. It's about a love of nation. You know, we say the, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag with a certain sense of conviction. We sing God Bless America and America the Beautiful and the Star Spangled Banner with a certain um, patriotic flair. But loving our nation is not enough. Loving our nation is not what makes us the best of best citizens of this country. You know, this past week, this country's been galvanized for the most part um, around the life of Senator John McCain. We have, we've seen video clips of his imprisonment in Hanoi. We've seen all of these wonderful stories about his life. And there's been multiple worship services. Um, I'm not going to show one today. But um, we, we've, we've all been kind of brought together around this person's life. And, and there's no one who would doubt that Senator John McCain didn't love his country. Now I want to say George W. Bush and Barack Obama, they also love their country. And Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, they too love their country. I would even say that Kim, Young, Kim Jong-un and Hugo Chavez, they love their country. And Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, they love their country, Russia and China. These political leaders all love their country. I'm convinced of it. I hope you are. But some love their country more helpfully and healthily than others. And love of country is good or less than good, depending on the other things that we love along with it. Jesus tried to get us focused on this. Jesus talked little, if at all, about the nation of Israel. He talked constantly about the kingdom of God, didn't he? And he said, seek ye first the what? kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you 
See, Jesus was trying to focus our attention beyond a nationalistic uh, glance to see a deeper um, driving force, which was a love of the kingdom of God. And not your righteousness or my righteousness, but God's righteousness that we aspire to. And by righteousness, we're talking about right relationships. First with God, and then with ourselves, and then with our neighbor. And when these right relationships are all in place, then everything else just falls into proper, a proper place. But it has to start with that love of God and that understanding of God's righteousness that we aspire to. You know, I think it tells us something important about patriotism. And it brings us to the first thing that I want to say today. And lucky for you, I only have two things to say today. But the first thing I want to say is this. Now listen. We love our nation best when we make it less important than our love for the kingdom of God and God's highest values. We love our nation best when we make it less than our love for the kingdom of God and God's highest values. Perhaps the most dangerous thing we can do in the name of patriotism is to make our nation itself our highest value. Rightly understood, a nation is not an ideal to be served. A nation is an organizational means by which a group of people may come to serve a common ideal. Therefore, the person who loves her or his nation best is the person who insists that her or his nation be faithful to the best of who we are and called to be. Now what I'm talking about is utterly biblical. What I'm talking about is, is, has a lot to do with the teachings of Jesus. We identify strongly with the, the nation of Israel, and yet we identify that through Jesus uplifting the kingdom of God. You know, I thought on this uh, patriotic Sunday, it might be good for us to just read what our founders have put in place because our founders knew in founding our republic that they weren't organizing a government first and then try to figure out what the government was going to do and how it was going to do it, right? Our founders decided to uplift ideals and principles and values first and then devise a government that would uplift and serve those values and ideals. That's the way it occurred. Listen to the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, people, I'm going to say people, are created equal. That they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among people, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. And to institute a new government. 
laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to, to affect their safety and happiness. Isn't it abundantly clear that the founders of this nation that we love set these values and principles and ideals based on their understanding of the kingdom not that we're called to be a Christian nation. They did not set out to make this a Christian nation. They set out to make this a nation where, where people could worship freely. Whether that means Christian worship or other worship, that we could worship freely. But they set this nation up based on Christian principles and values and ideals. Unashamedly. Arnold Toynbee, a respected historian said this, Nations and cultures and empires are never destroyed from the outside, but destroy themselves. Their self-destruction is always due to defects of character. And he's suggesting that the future of this or any nation, nation is utterly dependent upon the national character. It is dependent upon the values that we decide to pursue together. In our pledge of allegiance, we uplift these ideals, don't we? We say one nation under God. Indivisible, not divided. With liberty and justice for some. Oh, all. Liberty and justice for all. And of course, every nation is under God's providence and judgment, whether that nation acknowledges it or not. You know, it's like we do some sin and we say, I hope God wasn't watching. Well, God's already been watching. Nations are under God's judgment and providence, whether they acknowledge it or not. And when we are at our greatest, we acknowledge this, that we are under God. That we're called to higher principles and ideals of loving God and loving self and loving neighbor. A, a balance that is so important. Well, the last thing I want to say today is that if we want to love our nation in wise and helpful ways, we must strike a good balance between appreciation and criticism related to our nation. John Gardner has pointed out that there are two groups of citizens who are dangerous. There are unloving critics and there are uncritical lovers. Our nation deserves better than either. Did you hear that? We become dangerous when we become unloving critics or uncritical lovers. We, we deserve better. I don't know about you, but, you know, people get under my skin when they criticize our nation with a sneer. And people get under my skin when, when, when they seem to pretend that they're above the nation and they start talking in terms of uh, we and them. I don't know where I stand with that. It's true that if we love our nation, we must be critical when we are less than our best as a nation. I don't know where we got the idea 
that to be patriotic must always affirm and never criticize our beloved country. The fact is, I don't know of anything more unpatriotic that we can do than to accept blindly and blandly whatever happens. So in light of that, what kind of people do we want to be? What kind of nation do we want to uplift with righteousness and love dearly? Do we want to be a nation where profit trumps all other values? Do, do we want to be a society in which getting mine is all that really counts? Do we want to be a country where security is more important than morality? Do we want to be a nation that winks at kickbacks and yawns at corruption? Do we want to be a culture where values are so distorted that things are more important than people? Do we want to be a nation that doesn't take seriously how people in this country are destroying themselves with opioids and other addiction-driven um, sources? Do we want to be a nation that pays our entertainers and our athletes and underpays our teachers and our nurses and resents the minimum wage? What do we want to be? Now, I'm talking to Christians this morning. I'm talking to Democrats and Republicans and Independents and all of this. We all come at this political thing from, you know, different, with different opinions. I get that. But we also are called by a higher power to these ideals and principles that should unite us, no matter what we think about how we get to those ideals and principles. That's what we can debate. You know, John McCain, so many stories. I, I googled John McCain, part of the way I wanted to honor him. And, oh, there's so many stories. I've got John McCain stories that will last me in preaching for years. There's one I want to share with you today. It's so moving to me. He said he, he was in his prison cell. He'd been there for nearly three years. And said he was, he was tethered, tied tightly with his wrists and his ankles. He said the door of his cell opened and a guard came in. And without saying a word, he said, that guard loosened my bonds my hands and my feet. And then he slipped out of the room. That it was so much more restful. And then before sundown, he said, the same guard came into my room and he tightened up those ropes again so that, as John McCain put it, those who were less humanitarian than he was wouldn't know what he'd done. And that went on. Nearly every night. And it was Christmas Day, McCain said, and they were out on the prison yard. And he said, that same guard walked up and just stood beside me. Not saying a word. Not even exchanging a glance. And he took his sandal. And in the sand, he made the sign of a cross. A cross. 
and he just stood there. He said, we stood there for a couple of minutes. Never exchanging eye contact, but both looking down at the cross. And then he took his sandal, sandaled foot, and he erased the cross. And he slowly slipped away. McCain said that was the best Christmas present I'd ever been given to that point in my life. That in the midst of all of that hell I was in, there was a prison guard in the midst of this war between nations. A guard said to a prisoner, this is why. The cross is why. I do what I do for you. cross is what brings us together over national differences, over political differences. It's the cross and what it stands for that should drive our righteous, loving of our nation. A Frenchman by the name of Becca Couville over a hundred years ago wrote this I sought for greatness of America in her harbors and rivers and fertile lands and in her mines and commerce it was not there not until I went into the churches and heard her pulpits Flame with righteousness did I understand the greatness of her power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Amen.